Welcome to Mullets and Money, episode number 26, with Jonathan Lamb and Jan Thompson. Uh, Jonathan was, well, I guess Jonathan was accompanied by Stefan Lungu, always a guest of the podcast, a Romania analyst here, and our uh, Romanian or frontier spec sales, Ioana Pope, uh, last week uh, to interview the CEO of Banca Transylvania, uh, Mr. Omer Tetik. I couldn't attend. And why was that, Jan? Why couldn't you attend? Uh, I was in the hospital. Oh, you should have told us. It was, uh, I'm okay, first of all. Mm-hmm. Uh, John, John, Jonathan's a witness. Uh, I think I saw Jonathan's eyes uh, as big as saucers. saucers. Uh, but uh, I was actually at the Romania conference, so it was in the line of battle. Uh, I ate a piece of chicken and choked on it. So it, it's kind of, uh, it's very fitting that, you know, many investors have been choking on Romanian equities recently for various reasons. Um, and so Jan had a, a little crisis, you know, in empathy with, with your suffering. It was a physical embodiment of uh, what Romanian investors had gone through. Uh, so I was in the hospital for a few days. I'm fine now. But, so, uh, so basically, his esophagus was not regulating the flow of food properly. So it was a, it was another regulation problem. <laughs> Precisely. Couldn't be there. They ably interviewed um, Mr. Tetik. Uh, that's featured on the second half of this, and they go over conference takeaways. Uh, but Jonathan, uh, what caught your eye at the conference? Just out of the gate here. Or maybe as well from the interview with Omer. Um, I think if we if we think about the conference, obviously from my perspective, people were worried were were interested if there was any upside, you know, on the the gas cap, gas price cap issue, whether the government could backtrack to some extent. And I think since the conferences looked like that might be a possibility. The European Union has started to uh, act tough, um, so maybe there's some positives there. And, uh, and non-conference related, I noticed today, as I'm sure everyone did, that the Norwegians have decided to um, disinvest from certain oil and gas companies, and this created a mini panic in the market. And, and I was looking at Petrom with one of my colleagues earlier. Um, and the price was down two or three percent, probably because of this news um, by people who hadn't noticed that actually, at the moment, they're only talking about divesting from E&P, not from integrated companies like Petrom. So, so the Russians wouldn't be affected. That was the initial concern. Yeah, um, talking to Ildar, he he doesn't think the Russians will be affected because they are integrated players, uh, one way or another. But. I, I suspect in the long term we'll see the Norwegians working their way down through yeah. and so they'll get rid of some of the, they'll start selling off their integrated um, oil and gas as well because if you think about it from the point of view of um, diversification of portfolio, I remember when Enron went bankrupt and this, the staff in Enron had most of their pensions in Enron stock. Um, so the Norwegians investing large sums of money in oil and gas is kind of like the Enron staff 
in terms of, of investment strategy. So I think it makes a lot of sense. If you have it, if you look at it that way, and they're saying cold-heartedly, uh, it's about diversification, uh, which uh, I mean that's why these sovereign wealth funds exist. Yes, to, to, to have some kind of diversification away from whatever national industry that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, but if it's not, if it's out of principle, it's kind of like, I remember this one time I was at 7-Eleven when I was a kid, and uh, there was a mom who went up the counter who had a son that was maybe five, mm -hmm. uh, and the son goes to grab uh, a... Uh, it was a Smarties or a Snickers bar or something. And mom goes, don't, don't, uh, you can't buy that. It's not healthy. And then turns to the cashier and says, um, I'll have a pack of Marlboro Lights, please. <laughs> I think we've all uh, had those. I think there's a certain amount of greenwash um, potential in this. Yeah. But I think un underlying, I mean, we know the Nordics are fairly rational people underlying all this. It's, it's a wish to properly di diversify their investments. Sounds, they don't want to shoot themselves in there. Mm -hmm. Oil Derek. Yes. Uh, another anecdote. I was walking down the street uh, in the city of London yesterday, and I see this guy come along, and he, he looks familiar, and someone else is running alongside him, uh, locked eyes with him. Very handsome fella. Gary Lineker. Wow. Act yeah. surprised I've told you this already. <laughs> as, soon as, <laughs> as soon as it happened, you're my first phone call. <laughs> so, he, he's still looking good, is he? Yeah, he's still looking good. Young. Looks young, built. Don't just hate him. So, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and talented. There's probably a whole generation of, of kids out there who think, oh, Gary Lineker, he's just he's just the host of Match of the Day. Yes. What uh, did I'm he the, do? I'm the man on the walker's crystal. Yeah, yeah. Parachuting in. Uh, yeah, he did play some football as well, or soccer for our North American or Irish listeners. And scored quite a lot of goals. He did, in Barca. As I remember. Yeah. Um, but that goes on with my theme, so... So far, since we started the podcast, I've seen Rio Ferdinand. Mm -hmm. I've seen um, Gabriel Macht from the show Suits, Harvey from Suits. Mm -hmm. And now I've seen Gary Lineker. I wonder I, who I'm going to see next. I don't ever get to see anybody famous except for you. Yeah, it's, as it uh, comes this way. This is, I, I think this is what our, our fourth or fifth uh, episode in a row where we have an interview with the CEO. It seems... We're getting, we're getting some traction. <laughs> it, it looks like we are. So if there's any CEOs list out there listening, yep. we'd love to have you on. Yeah. We're not tooting our own horn, but uh, hey, uh, it's a pretty good platform for you. Mm -hmm. Join the, join the get on the train. Get on, yes, get on the train at close to one of the first stops. Um, one of the interesting things about talking to Amesh uh, from... I like how you, you're the pronunciation guy today. Yes, it's my turn. Yeah. Uh, normally, Jan gets all the pronunciations right and I get them wrong, but it's my turn today. So, he's lived, he's a Turk who's lived for 20 years in Romania. Yeah. So, we kind of had. And three years in Russia. Yeah, quite a lot of, of things to uh, share yeah. with each other. So, he's yeah. married a local girl over there and he's, he's become Romanian, but he's originally from, from Turkey. The Ottomans did that quite well, I think. Uh, it, it was actually funny that he was pointing out one of the things that I pulled out of, I thought we had some pretty good questions, and not because I came up with a lot of them. Yes. <laughs> but he was talking about how uh, the question was posed, uh, he's worked in Romania, Turkey, and Russia in banking, and how, what are the similarities and what are the differences? And he was saying that Romanians, uh, in terms of credit card and micro-lending, but also in how they interact with bankers, is, are very, is very similar to Turks. Products that work in Turkey generally work fairly well in Romania, as opposed to CE countries. Mm -hmm. uh, and they say they kind of take their banker's word over the piece of paper or the contract that uh, 
that uh, the contract is actually is actually written on. I found that uh, interesting. Yeah, I think the, um, from the perspective of, of someone who's lived in Turkey a long time, because I probably because the economy is, has been so volatile and unexpected things happen. Um, the approach to business is perhaps less bureaucratic than it is here. Certainly. Yeah. So, but even in that case, compared to the rest of CEE, yeah, it's uh, more similar to Turkey. So, yes, but of course, you know, as you're aware, the Romanians regard themselves as uh, somewhat separate from the rest of yes, Central true. and Eastern Europe. Linguistically, yes, especially linguistically, culturally, yes. Uh, but I, th- I I pulled that out. I thought it was kind of interesting. We talk. We go into fintech. Omer is pretty big into fintech as well. Um, their expansion plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, how there's no plans to go beyond Moldova, but it looks a little bit like a test balloon right now. Yeah, um, they think there's still a lot to go to do in in Romania before they do anything else anywhere else. And of course, it wouldn't be a proper interview if we didn't talk about the Romanian bank tax. This interview came out, it was done last Friday, so what was that, the 1st of March, 2nd of I March? I think so, yeah, 1st of uh, March. So it came out before the most recent news in Romania, but uh, still good good insight into the process, mm-hmm. I'd say. Yeah, I think I thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. Well. So, without any more ado, I think. Yep. Um, don't bore us, get to the chorus. <laughs> All right, Omersh and Ioana and Stefan and uh, Jonathan. Me. Yeah, coming live, well, not live, recorded from the from net. From the net in yeah. London. Talk to you guys next week. Hello, this is Mullets and Money coming to you from the net in London. Today, we're joined by Omer Tetik from Banca Transylvania and my Romanian colleagues, Ioana. Hello, everyone, Ioana Bob here. And uh, the usual star, uh, Stefan here, with uh, with the new, the recent news on uh, Romanian politics. So this week we've had a Romanian conference, and um, Ioana wanted to talk about the conference a little bit before we go into our interview. Hello everyone. Uh, so yeah, very happy to talk about the conference, especially that the outcome was much better than what we expected, considering the current situation with what has happened on the taxation level and on politics front as well. We had a record number of people as of this morning. I looked at the statistics that 111 people joining the conference for Romania only. That's the record we had so far. And we had people coming from all over continents. We had people from yeah, Dubai, we had Singapore, we had US, and of course a lot of UK and European guys. And to be honest, like everyone, I think I was a bit worried on people's perception and everyone who came to the conference, they were a bit like, had a negative view on what happened and they tried to clarify uh, how things stand at the moment and how companies sees what's happening, especially on the taxation level and especially on the financial sector. But to, to my positive surprise, everyone left kind of calm and I wouldn't say positive necessarily what happened, but not that worried about how the future might look like. But I won't get into many details because I'll let this to Omer to clarify what's his view on the current situation. And I'll probably pass on to Stefan to mention his views after a couple of meetings and on what's happening on the politics front as well. So uh, I think, uh, as Johanna was saying, uh, quite a lot of uh, our clients came to the conference being uh, maybe saying a bit concerned is uh, is an understatement. Uh, my general feeling is that when they left the conference, I think uh, they realized uh, 
the situation is a bit more in control than it seems from uh, from the outside. I think the NBR, uh, the National Bank of Romania presentation was quite helpful as well in uh, talking about the conversation they're having with uh, with the government and uh, the constant dialogue. I think in um, in terms of the companies, we see uh, most of them across the sectors expecting some uh, rational changes coming up pretty soon. And uh, we saw quite, uh, quite a lot of uh, the clients being quite uh, interested in, uh, as usual, the banks, the usual suspects, uh, consumer names, and uh, the energy producers, Hydroelectrica. And also oil and gas sector as well. Uh, which home, which maybe Jonathan can give uh, his flavor on. Yeah, um, so on the oil and gas sector, basically, the, the main takeaway that I had is that both Romgas and Petrom are expecting the, 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 some reforms of the gas price cap. Um, so watch this space, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll have more to tell you later on. But um, that's enough from us, I think. Um, it'd be nice to hear a little bit from our guest. So, if we kick off the first questions, uh, Bank of Transylvania is very liquid and it looks like loan, loan growth will be subdued in the next couple of years. So, what, what do you think your options are for growth? Where, where are you going to be focused? Thank you very much. First of all, I'm, I'm on it and we are in a wonderful location in London now. Uh, it was also interesting. Uh, conference for us, very interesting conversations yesterday, and I hope that we managed to clarify a few things because, especially Banca Transylvania, in the last few years, had been de delivering transactions in MA, uh, different uh, structured uh, transactions in the market. So, we have lots of one offs, and each time we have to come up with sometimes we become very difficult to benchmark from one year to another. As regard to uh, our li liquidity and uh, sub, let's say, uh, decelerated loan growth, actually, I would say that uh, uh, having the lowest financial inclusion, uh, lowest banking penetration in, in Europe, Romania has uh, a long way to go, and we we think that uh, the growth in SME loans and retail loans, where we are very active, will not definitely slow down aggressively. And in the last few years, the corporate demand was almost inexistent. And we see that now with the also uh, state programs, infrastructure investments, there are uh, there is more demand coming in the market. That's why uh, we, we do not think that the loan growth will be necessarily decelerating. But on the other hand, also as you mentioned, we are uh, trying to support the part of our financial group. Uh, one of our subsidies, BT Capital Partners, has been very active in. Uh, corporate debt obligations, uh, uh, bond issuance, and we uh, also, as Banca Transylvania, underwriting some of those uh, papers, and we would like to look further to that. But uh, in terms of in terms of over so-called over liquidity, having 30% of our deposit base from current accounts, I would say that it's still a profitable business. Okay, great. Uh, maybe if I had a follow-up questions on that. You mentioned SME as SMEs as the engine of growth, and uh, that has been the the key customer of Banca Transylvania traditionally. Maybe you can talk a bit about how that fits into your strategy, and also how that fit with your history in terms of like developing the bank from where it used to be to where it is now. I mean, the, 
a semi business is really in the in the culture of the bank because the bank itself had been established by a group of Romanian entrepreneurs uh, in a then small city regional uh, center. So we had been growing together with our SME portfolio, with our SME customers. Now we reached at a point that uh, one out of three, one out of two new established companies in Romania, they start their business by opening account in, at BT, Banca Transylvania. So we have a very strong foothold there and we see it not necessarily as a portfolio, but more of a community. Because if you look at our uh, loan portfolio, SMEs are still not half of the portfolio. Retail makes a big bunch. Uh, we are also very active in mid-corporates, large corporates. So, uh, how say it? in a semi-business, we are trying to help them to start to grow their business, to finance them or to make them bankable, financeable at some certain point, because this is the biggest uh, biggest problem. Now, this is something that we did well. We learned a lot from our own mistakes as well. We want to continue doing it, and uh, we, we see more potential there. Also, having a local bank, our relations with uh, multinationals, with international companies is limited. They are sometimes coming with their relations from their home countries. So uh, we are ne never going to aim to become their first bank of choice. It will be too ambitious. But on the other hand, uh, we in Ro Romania, we can understand the challenges, the problems, uh, beyond the scoring, beyond the balance sheets. Uh, we always joke about the fact that we can read what is not written in the newspapers. So uh, that that's an important thing because if you look at your customer just as a how say uh, a scoring result, then most of our customers also with which we have very profitable business relationship would not be bankable. Yeah. You did mention you grew a lot via M&A recently as well. Do you see any further consolidation in the sector? Are you looking at other players? Do you see? Of some banks coming from outside Romania looking to enter Romania. How do you view this, the current situation? I mean, under current political uncertainty or unpredictability, maybe uh, about about the administration. I'm not expecting any big foreign players to come to the market, but within the market, there are still, I would say, intentions and opportunities. We had been. Uh, taking our role quite importantly uh, actually on the upper segment we have in the last four years we have bought and integrated merged two banks with Banca Transivaya it helped us a lot to grow our balance sheet but also our profitability our efficiency now with the banking tax with about which we will probably discuss uh, it is very difficult uh, for the sellers to get the price they want and for the buyers to be able to reach the price which the seller may want. So it's a weird situation. But the smaller banks, we, have, we see that there are a couple of initiatives already. There are new players. Uh, and smaller banks most probably will be uh, having some activity among themselves, which will create packages in the future for larger players like us. We very recently had on Mullets and Money um, a contribution from Tinkoff. And so when you look around other emerging markets, you can see that there is some interesting business models in fintech. Um, how do you see that for Romania and how do you see that for your company? Well, Romanian customers are quite demanding. I mean, they want immediately what's happening in UK, in anywhere in the world. So also, also 
the information itself, the customer experience it, itself became global maybe. We are investing a lot. We are investing a lot of uh, time and attention. Definitely compared to think of uh, converting a traditional bank like us into a digital savvy bank and uh, digital organization is quite difficult. I mean, you have to, this transformation is a bit more painful. But on the other hand, we, uh, we, we had been enjoying quick decision making and flexibility. Our ambition is not like most of our uh, peers to be definitely uh, the first comer or the innovator of the market. We are saying that we will be the best early adapter. Whatever happens, be it in Turkey, Poland or US, we want, we will be, we should be able to grab and implement it rapidly in Romania. And so far we have been doing it. We also have our own digital transformation unit. It's a separate unit from the bank, uh, composed of not only business lines, but uh, support units, compliance, uh, operations and IT developers. They are, whatever we do in our business, uh, our usual business, they are obliged to think it digital. How we can make it more efficient, faster, through different channels. We had been uh, the first bank in this part of our region, let's say, in this part of our world, uh, to launch a mobile wallet developed in-house. Mm -hmm. We have our BT store. We are offering non-banking applications to our customers. So if they want uh, to have ERP, recruitment, profiling, uh, accounting, legal advice, they, they can use applications, uh, apps from uh, BT store. And we will be launching our new mobile banking application. I, I think it will be uh, quite interesting uh, and revolutionary for Romania. So uh, it's out of investment, out of attention, sometimes also friction from the traditional side of the bank. But uh, we will continue our uh, our journey on that. For those of you that um, didn't guess from the name, Amer is actually Turkish. Um, and he has experience, obviously, in Turkey before Romania. And I believe you also had some experience in, in Russia as well. So I'd be very interested to know how the market differs from Turkey in particular, and if there's cultural differences, differences in the way in which the customers view banking and the, and the services and things that they, that they want. Actually, uh, many things have changed. I'm, it's my 20th year in Romania. Before that, I was three years in uh, Russia and a few years in Turkey. Unfortunately, anywhere in the world, the perception about banks is not very good. So we are trying to prove <laughs> ourselves that we are also the good guys and we are trying to, go, to do uh, good deeds for, for our countries, for our economies. But on the other hand, there are uh, quite certain similarities. What we have seen, uh, especially in the consumer and SME, segment most of the successful products that we uh, see from turkey especially they fit better to romania as compared to other regional peers like poland or uh, hungary especially in the credit cards in uh, micro lending we have uh, agribusiness healthcare uh, sector where we are also we have strong foothold we uh, we have a lot of know-how not necessarily mine but we are following the markets uh, very very closely and also, uh, in terms of the house, a very uh, limited span of uh, patience. Uh, Romanian market customers are very much uh, similar to Turkish customers. So you have to offer a very short time to yes, uh, time to delivery. But also, as uh, more closer to Turkey, actually, customer listens to the word of the banker, which counts 
definitely much more than the uh, contract they sign. And that's why they want us to deliver what we promise to deliver mm -hmm. quicker than the time that we promise to deliver. Right. Uh, something that I'm very personally interested in, actually, because you mentioned you, you've lived in Romania for 20 years now. Uh, coming from a Romanian living abroad to a foreigner living in Romania, what would you say were the things you'd recommend to anybody who would move there to adapt from a business standpoint? And what, what would you what would you say is? Um, I mean, uh, obviously, f f first of all, uh, in in Romania. You should be able to find good Romanian partners, good Roma uh, partners in the sense of employees and also customers or suppliers that you can find, but you should also show that you trust them, you empower them. Because this is the mistake that we have seen, I've made also uh, earlier, the mistake that coming from another uh, culture, another economy, another le level of living standards, you you think that you think that you know things better or you could do better, but actually there's a there's huge potential. There's a very young, well-educated population and a very good entrepreneurial culture. What lacks and what I would suggest to an investor is uh, to have tenacity and to insist uh, to follow up very closely because I would say that in terms of innovation, idea generation, creativity, Romania is a great country. In terms of delivery, we still have our problems in terms of uh, delivery times and uh, commitment to delivery. So this uh, should be a point to follow. But other than that, it is one of the safest business environments that I have ever seen. So I'm still, I still want to come back to my M&A question, but on uh, oh, this time. Okay, so this time you've recently made an acquisition in Moldova. How is this going? Are you looking to grow? Are, I know you have your hands full at the moment what's happening in Romania, but are you looking at other countries as well? For, I know, mid-term, let's say, to expand? I mean, uh, going from regional to national and then international, it's a uh, very long road. And we are, if you look at the international uh, banks uh, which have presence in multiple countries they have history of 100 years 150 years we are just we just have 25 years we are too young yet uh, we are trying testing our uh, muscles in Moldova it's definitely it has some advantages like uh, language culture similarity so if we can succeed if we can prove ourselves uh, we might be looking further but now uh, we don't we are not uh, looking for targets out of Romania or Moldova I think we have a lot to do still in Moldova we have, we have still less than 30% banking system penetration uh, compared to GDP so it's obviously we have uh, great potential ahead of us we don't want to lose that because our business culture is very much local our, uh, as you know we are always speaking about our quite decentralized or semi centralized uh, business model it is very difficult to establish uh, in, a, in a country from zero plus now where we arrive uh, we will not be able to uh, we will not have the patience to develop something from zero so it's uh, but we are reading a lot of uh, the, the news uh, let's say much more with much more attention about the neighboring countries so um, I've kind of saved the best till last or maybe the worst till last I'm not sure um, 
the thing that everyone's wondering is, is the banking tax. Um, what's the impact? Is there a chance that there might maybe some changes, some positive changes? Um, what's your view? I'm, I'll def definitely I'm biased and subjective. Uh, I don't want to go too into the wishful thinking uh, towards optimism, but in the last couple of weeks we have seen a great uh, progress in terms of dialogue and discussions. We see that both uh, the government, especially the Minister of Finance, uh, they are listening our arguments and they started understanding why we were, we were so uh, loud about our demands and our uh, rejection of the tax as, as it was proposed. The last messages from the uh, latest uh, conversations, the meetings that we had, are quite positive. Sincerely, I don't expect to reach back to a zero taxation level. There will be probably a tax with the exemption of some of the assets. And as per the uh, declarations from Ministry of Finance, it will be similar to the region level, similar to Poland or Hungary, which is in the medium and long term digestible. So, but on the other hand, it is very unfair to say that Romanian banks have the highest profitability looking just at 2018. Because in the last 10 years, the average return on assets of the banking system had been uh, below 1%. So coming with a 1.2% taxation was, was quite ag aggressive. Maybe they wanted to give a message. And part of the message already understood and taken. Uh, we are definitely uh, not willing to go to the point that we will just reflect it on the customers and just cover up our uh, kind of a, uh, tax gross up. Uh, on the customers because we have uh, invested 25 years in establishing this relationship. Some of our SME customers might be in a fragile position in a uh, recession, upcoming recession environment. So partially we will digest the cost, partially we will find ways to make ourselves uh, more efficient and less costly. But on the other hand, also uh, the discussion about the difference, uh, actually the banks are charging five times more interest on the deposits, uh, on the, uh, sorry, five times more interest on the credits as compared to deposit rates is wrong because we are comparing a very, very low interest rate on uh, environment. So it is one and a half percent on late deposits with 7.5 percent on, on loans. But if the deposits would be 11.5, that uh, interest on credits would be 17.5. So that we have a very high or increasing operational cost due to in, uh, pressure from the wage growth. This is coming from the public sector also. Government, uh, state sector became our main competitor in terms of recruitment and the salaries have been increasing double digit for the last three, four years. But on the other hand, uh, as I say, hopefully towards the end of this month, uh, we will see the final format of the, of the legislation, which will be lighter and much more digestible. So on that note, thank you very much for giving us your time today. Um, that was very interesting. I think we, we learned a lot. Thank you, Joanna and Stefan, and we'll speak to you again soon. Thank you.